The Abraham Accords heralded the dawn of a new age of peace. But I believe that we are at the cusp of an even more dramatic breakthrough. We should probably, as a species, cease slapping our hands to our foreheads and exclaiming gadzooks every time something remarkable happens in the geostrategic sphere. Remarkable stuff happens in the geostrategic sphere so often that it is barely remarkable. One would not need to have lived long to recall such manifestations of the hitherto unthinkable as the collapse of the Soviet Union, the dismantling of apartheid, the reunification of Germany, war in Yugoslavia, peace in Northern Ireland, the UK leaving the EU, Sweden and Finland joining NATO. Fill in your own favourites. Even by those standards, however, the apparently looming normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia is a big whoop. Such a peace will go a long way to ending the Arab-Israeli conflict. It will encourage other Arab states to normalize their relations with Israel. When we make peace, the whole Middle East changes. We tear down the walls of enmity. Such an occurrence has long served indeed as the hypothetical scenario by which other unlikely prospects have been judged. One might have bleakly observed that there was about as much chance of a particular thing happening as an Israeli mission opening in Riyadh or some Saudi princeling presenting his credentials as ambassador in Jerusalem or more likely due to Palestinian sensitivities, Tel Aviv. But it appears to be very much happening. For us, the Palestinian issue is very important. We need to solve that part. And we have a good negotiation to continue. Till now, we got to see where it will go. Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has recently breezily asserted that every day we get closer. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has used phrases like possible, likely and on the cusp. This week, Israel's tourism minister, Haim Katz, arrived in Saudi Arabia for a conference, the first official acknowledged public visit to the kingdom by any Israeli minister. The first thing to acknowledge is that despite whatever reservations one may reasonably harbour regarding the personages at the centre of this looming rapprochement, it is probably, on balance, a good thing inasmuch as normalised diplomatic relations between any two countries are better all round than seething hostility and general mutual shunning. The second thing to acknowledge is the reservations one may reasonably Harbour regarding the personages at the centre of this looming rapprochement. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman is an impetuous thug who has wrecked a neighbouring country, Yemen, for no readily discernible reason and ordered the murder of a journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, who displeased him. Benjamin Netanyahu is a belligerent, self-serving, long-past used-by-date barnacle who is governing in cahoots with people he well knows to be certifiable lunatics, at least partially in an effort to keep himself out of prison. Which brings us to what might be in it for the prospective partners in this putative handshake. Most obviously, there is Iran, which for both Israel and Saudi Arabia is the enemy's enemy by which friendships are forged. 
Though Saudi Arabia did recently re-establish ties with Iran in a deal brokered by China, each still sees the other as their principal regional rival. And Saudi Arabia, like Israel, further perceives Iran as a potential mortal threat. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has already said that if Iran develops nuclear weapons, then Saudi Arabia must. If they get one, we have to get one for security reasons, for balancing power in the Middle East, but we don't want to see that. The possibility of Iranian nukes is, of course, one reason that Israel already has nuclear weapons, even if it officially pretends otherwise. Saudi Arabia also hopes to leverage American enthusiasm for normalization for a defense pact with the United States, which would include fewer restrictions on what American kit Saudi Arabia may purchase. Saudi Arabia is also seeking assistance for the development of a civilian nuclear program. When Israel looks at Saudi Arabia, it sees economic opportunity, potential further cooperation on intelligence and defense matters, and a means of further marginalizing Palestine as an issue. I, I think the Palestinian thing is uh, brought in all the time. It was always brought in. Uh, and it's sort of a, a checkbox. You know, you have to check it to say that you're doing it. Is that what is being said in corridors? Is that what is being said in, uh, uh, in discreet negotiations? I don't know. You tell me. What's uh, being the said? answer is a lot less than you think. Which is where we return to the theme of pioneering diplomatic outreach in the Middle East. This week also saw Saudi Arabia's ambassador to Jordan, Naif al-Sadari, arrive in Ramallah to formally extend his remit by also becoming Saudi Arabia's first ambassador to Palestine. It remains to be seen, however, whether Saudi Arabia views this appointment as a means of including Palestine in the deal or bouncing Palestine into going along with it. Saudi Arabia has put uh, different conditions uh, regarding normalization. Uh, one of these uh, conditions is really uh, you know, the end of Israeli occupation and uh, the materialization of the state of Palestine. Uh, if that's really the case, then uh, that's really very important. I hope that the Saudis will stick to that to that position. There has been understandable anxiety about what an Israel-Saudi Arabia deal would mean for Palestine, even more so than there was about Israel's recent agreements with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan and Morocco. Saudi Arabia coming to terms with Israel would appear to further underpin suspicion that the Arab world at large has ceased to find the Palestinian cause useful or interesting. The Palestinians should have all the powers to govern themselves and none of the powers to threaten Israel. This means that in whatever final settlement, peace settlement, we have with the Palestinians, Israel has the uh, overriding security power in the entire area, ours and theirs. Otherwise, we collapse. They collapse. If that is the case, it is difficult to entirely blame anyone. Attempting to be an active ally of Palestine right now presents a choice of two interlocutors. The West Bank regime of Mahmoud Abbas, an ossified crook and crackpot now 18 years into his four-year presidential term, or the Gaza cult of Hamas a wretched sack of theocratic fascists much keener on waging a futile campaign of disorganised violence against a largely indifferent foe than they are on figuring out any way to meaningfully improve the lives of the 600,000 largely blameless people locked in with them. 
On form, however, it is probably too optimistic by half to hope that such leadership as Palestine presently possesses might react to any realignment of the Middle East with fresh, constructive and pragmatic thinking. You won't have a Palestinian state, you'll have an Iranian uh, uh, terror state. It is not a done deal yet. Netanyahu has to sell it to the other parties of his governing coalition, amid whose company Netanyahu is the relatively reasonable and compromising one. Though Saudi authorities don't have to deal with such nuisances as free media and voters, a Saudi public raised on decades of institutional hatred of Israel may take some persuading. For Monocle Radio... I'm Andrew Miller.